Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns like she and her. And I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. In this episode, we'll discuss the second Sunday in Lent, which this year falls on March 13th. We do have one content notification for this episode. We talk about caregiving, infertility, and medical racism and misogynoir when discussing the deep dive. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. For this episode, we are deep diving into caregiving and infertility, which comes up a couple times and is something that is either never talked about or kind of talked about or really badly talked about. Yep. So we wanted to take some time to dive into that. So first, we'd like to talk about how parenting is a calling. It's a vocation. It's a way to live out your faith in the world. Uh, it's an incredibly important and difficult job. And that means that not everyone should do it. Just like Great. there are some people who are not meant to be rocket scientists. There are also some people who are not meant to be parents, generally for different reasons in my experience. But <laughs> I suppose there could be somewhere that overlaps. I don't know. Yeah. But... Uh, we do have some examples of good and problematic parenting from, uh, say, various fandoms. Uh, the first parent who immediately came to my mind, possibly partly because of a conversation Emily and I had literally just had, <laughs> was Lorelai Gilmore. I definitely watched the Gilmore Girls in high school with my mom, and it was mm -hmm. uh, very formative, especially the first couple of seasons uh, for yeah. us. One of the things that I think was especially like points to this is Lorelai goes into the high school to presumably to talk about like being a businesswoman and running the hotel and that sort of a thing. And then all of the students are like asking her questions about what it was like to be a single teen mom and if she regretted it and that sort of a thing. And so then she's talking about like the gift that it is and the, and yeah. the actual like appreciation that she has for being Rory's mom and the way her life took shape. And then everybody's like, and then like she gets in trouble with all of the kids' parents because they're like, you're advocating single parent, like teen parenthood. And she's like, that's yeah, not no. what I was doing. It's, but no, I have especially appreciated that there's an ongoing thing throughout the show where Rory realizes that she's turning into her mom and Lorelai realizes that in some ways she's turning into her mom mm -hmm. and neither of those things is always a bad thing like yeah. there are moments when they're all freaked out about it in various ways and that's fair but also like they appreciate what they've gotten from each other mm -hmm. and I really loved watching that yeah and I was thinking about Emily Gilmore Lorelai's mom in a not ideal sense and I yeah. think I think we could go for Christopher is a pretty bad dad. Oh, gracious. He's yeah, he was really not present in Rory's life for most of it and then works on sabotaging Lorelai's relationships and yeah. Yeah, and just not at all reliable. I yeah. Yeah. And Emily like she has her issues but also she has her good points and she's extremely consistent with Rory. So, it's Yeah. She is she's yeah. really great at caregiving when it comes to Rory. Not like 100%, but there, there are still some issues there, but like, you yeah, know she that she genuinely cares. And even, yeah, and even with Lorelai, you can tell that she cares. It's just she's acting it out in ways that are not the greatest. Yeah, she, so. she and Richard are both better grandparents than they are parents. And there are people like that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but they, they're not the worst parents either. 
No, not by any means. <laughs> and speaking of being good parents, Molly Weasley and Arthur Weasley are both very good examples of being parents. They both care deeply about their kids. They will go to a lot of trouble to make sure that their kids have what they need. Uh, Molly will totally unofficially semi-adopt uh, complete strangers who need feeding up at the drop of a hat. Mm -hmm. And they're very nurturing and caring. And yes, Molly definitely has some issues, especially later on when she's realizing that her kids are growing up and she's not quite ready for that. Uh, especially, especially when they're growing war. up in the middle of a war where they're like, yeah. die. Like, yeah, well, and she lost her own brothers to a war before that. And so you mm -hmm. kind of understand where some of that comes from, but she's got her, yeah. yeah. But Arthur is also shown as a very active and involved dad. And I don't think we get that often enough in uh, fandom mm -hmm. uh, or in fiction in general. Well, so in the like Molly and Arthur space, I actually was going to say one of the things that I love, and you briefly mentioned this, but it also ties back in with Lorelai, is the space to be a caregiver to children who you did not give birth to, you did not adopt, you did not fo provide foster care for, right? So a lot of the times that's your kids' friends or neighbor sure. kids, um, but Lorelai does this really well for Lane. Yeah, yeah, that was lovely. To the extent that then when Lane is like pregnant and going to have kids, she asks Rory and says, will you be my Lorelai? Because yeah. Lorelai was a space where Lane could listen to whatever music she wanted and that sort of a thing. And so then Lane wants Rory to be the space where like her kids can read Bibles if they need to. Sure. Right. But that and I think Molly and Arthur do that fairly well, not in the same way that yeah. Laurel, not in a Lorelai Gilmore kind of way, um, but definitely do that for Harry and also Hermione. Yeah, and neither of them would have adapted to the wizarding world nearly as well if it weren't for the Weasleys. Yeah. Absolutely. Another example of a very involved and active dad is Captain Ben Sisko from Deep Space Nine of Star Trek. He is a single dad of a teenage son. He is also a very actively involved black dad. And uh, he has the trouble of trying to both uh, command a space station and parenting his kid at the same time, uh, at, sometimes during emergencies. And he does a, a lovely balancing act of that. Uh, and they did some really nice episodes addressing that, too. Yeah, I think for me in the realm of like Doctor Who, I think mm -hmm. Amy Pond and Amy and Rory Pond both, but especially yes. Amy Pond is a fascinating example of caregiving because the like circumstances around which her kid was born are like all sorts of confusing and I don't know that I even understand it. Um, but she didn't get to... I'm not then, sure the writers understood it, to be fair. <laughs> right, right. Which is like a theme that will come up in this episode multiple times. Yeah. But so she doesn't really get to raise her kid, who she names Melody, mm -hmm. the way that she might have wanted. Right. Right. Like she doesn't raise her as a parent raising a child, but she does get to raise her as a friend because they grow up yes. together because... Melody is a time time travel tra is a time liege time lady yeah and so there's just like a different way of of caregiving that's like not typical and not what we would necessarily call caregiving necessarily but it yeah, is a like absolutely. fun fan alternative there is a series of novels called the Young Wizard series by Diane Duane. and in that uh, the main character's name is Juanita and her mom is an especially interesting character because she's very 
in the background for the first few books, but then partway through the series, she starts coming out to play more, I guess. She she gets to be a bigger character. And then there's the book where they find out that she's been diagnosed with cancer. And Juanita is a wizard. Juanita has incredibly powerful abilities. Juanita tries to cure her mom's cancer with her abilities. And that part of the book is handled gorgeously and very empathically. It's one of those things where you can really tell that the author actually spent several years as a nurse, mm. not because it's really technical, but because she understands the hell that the family goes through in a yeah. very deep way. And at, in the end, her mom gets to make her own decision about what's going to happen next. And she gets to say, no, I'm your mom. You're not my mom. I'm going to take care of you. And it's one of my favorite moments in like all of literature, uh, uh, let alone just young adult novels. So I really love them. Also, they're on sale on Diane Duane's ebook store for half off during the pandemic. So as long as the pandemic lasts, you can get the entire series uh, for pretty cheap. And there's like 11 books now. Well... (laughs) We'll see. Um, but she does actually have regular sales uh, and uh, the books have been re-edited since they were originally published and they are wonderful. So nice. I definitely suggest them. Nice. That reminded me of One Day at a Time, which is a lovely Oh, the, the new version, right? The new version. I, I know yes. the new version yes, that Netflix. was on Netflix and I haven't seen the fourth. I think there's a fourth season. Yes, I have I not seen the pandemic season. Don't know where. I think I saw the first three. Yeah, I don't know where the fourth season came out. It was not on Netflix because Netflix does this like, we'll give you three seasons and then nothing and more. And then destroy you. Especially yeah. for series that star people of color. But that's a yeah. lovely like part biological family, part chosen family. Yes. Of, like clearly mom and grandma are <laughs> mom and abuela oh, yeah. are the ones who are the caregivers. But then there's like a couple other people who like kind of caregive, kind of friends kind of kids like combo yeah. but and also you get Rita Moreno which like seriously yeah. just show up yeah. her alone if no one else <laughs> and it was one of the first shows to have a non-binary character yes they did a lovely job with that so for the most part good yeah I also really like in the Cinder series which is the series is kind of like alludes to different fairy tales so Cinder alludes to Cinderella sure. right and we know that Cinderella's stepmom is terrible as far as caregivers go. Oh, yeah. In all the adaptations. Yes. Actually, now I kind of want an adaptation of Cinderella where the stepmom is awesome and the dad sucked. But Right? Because that we could be don't interesting. really get that. Yeah. yeah. And Cinder, the first of the... I guess they're called the Lunar Chronicles okay. series. But Cinder is the first one. And her adopted dad, Lynn Guerin, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, was a really caring dad and took care of her. But her stepmom... Audrey was not granted there was like particular motivation that step that the that Lynn Guerin had to take care of her because she was the well-hidden princess slash heir to the lunar throne and so that's like you know kind of a big deal probably when the current ruler is like trying to destroy earth but yeah he he cared for her and she's a cyborg she's like part human part mechanical okay because of damage done in a fire and so he cared for her and didn't discriminate didn't have prejudice against her whereas a lot of other people did but it's a cute i haven't read those books in a really long time in fact and then of course 
the French Prince of Bel Air. (laughs) Because it alludes to some of the complicated nature of parenting and caregiving and raising children, right? Like, even just in the intro song, I got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. Wait, she is a mom who is in a situation where she can't, she doesn't have a guaranteed way to keep her kids safe. And so she sends him to live with cousins and aunt and uncle who are massively wealthy. (laughs) Handy to have those people in your life. Just Mm -hmm. saying, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But also they, they really, for all the quirks and ups and downs and stuff, they, they really care about Will. And it's lovely to see like, the joys, the conflict, all of that stuff that's like oh, handled yeah. in a way that's not toxic and terrible. Yeah. And of course, uh, for those of you who aren't into all of the various fanish things that we're into, there are plenty of parenting examples in the Bible, a lot of which are less than ideal. Also truth. <laughs> the first one that came to mind for me as like, who's a bad parent and who's a good parent is <laughs> from the two women who Solomon in his wisdom is like deciding between them and one woman has stolen the other woman's kid and so now there's a dispute between them of who gets to keep the kid and Solomon is like well I'll just cut the kid in half and you can both have it and the woman whose kid it was not is like okay and the woman whose kid it was is like no 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 she can have it i'd rather that than the kid literally die yeah and that's like supposedly how solomon figures out okay you're the real parent she's not yeah and the one who was like willing to give up custody for the life of the kid is the one who gets it so that is like which like as far as parenting qualities goes that's not terrible sure yeah also hope there's some other things going on there but yeah you know also, uh, speaking of this particular Bible story, please hang out and join us all the way to the end of the episode when we will be introducing a new feature Ooh. for our episodes uh, where we will talk about Let's Make a Muppets Musical. And we're going to cast this scene with Muppets, or rather we're going to allow someone else to cast it for us because they tweeted the idea and I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and yeah. so we're going to talk about that later. Yes. But uh, join us again at the ep- end of the episode to talk about that Bible story. We are really excited for this new segment in our podcast. Absolutely. It's going to be a good time. Yeah. But going back to biblical parents, <laughs> speaking of Solomon having weird ideas of how to determine parenthood, Solomon himself was not really the greatest dad. His kids had some issues and it's implied pretty heavily that he didn't pay a lot of attention to them. And while we're at it, David solomon's dad even more issues if that if that's possible and also uh had some pretty screwed up ideas about what was important with his children and so yeah i kind of get where solomon thinking that that whole thing was super wise comes from because he had some pretty weird ideas about parenthood Mm -hmm. yeah whereas uh you know david's dad seemed to be i don't know pretty inoffensive like Jesse had several children. Uh, all of them contributed to the family. Uh, David mm-hmm. was off herding the sheep, and Jesse didn't really seem to think it was likely that he would wind up being a king, but that doesn't mean Jesse didn't care about him, I guess. Uh, yeah. Like, he, he didn't seem to say that in an especially insulting way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Like, you got to pick one to stay back with the sheep. Yeah, and 
being surprised that it's his youngest son that would be picked to be king of Israel is not unusual for that culture. That's mm -hmm. fair. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I was thinking even further back in the Bible yes. that Sarah had some issues around oh, yeah. parenthood and caregiving, especially because Hagar, who really was a great mom and took really good care of Ishmael in really bad situations and circumstances yeah. but because of the way that slavery and yeah. birth and all of those things work and Sarah's own ideas work out and Sarah's own ideas right Sarah like gives Hagar to Abraham and Hagar yeah. gets pregnant and technically the kid is like Sarah's but really Hagar's and then Sarah gets jealous and doesn't like the kid and then especially after she has Isaac really doesn't like Ishmael and kicks him out and she's supposed to be yeah. responsible for caring for Ishmael and Isaac and Abraham is like pretty crappy in there in that he just kind of like and does whatever so Sarah many ways. wants he's like, also <laughs> not the world's greatest husband but we don't have to go into that yeah. right now <laughs> there's, there's, which like you can be a really good parent and not a really good spouse, and you can be a really good spouse and not a good parent, but it's hard. Yeah. Both. Both are hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's it's hard to be good at at caregiving if you're not good a good spouse, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, a little bit down the line is the, like, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, love triangle, becomes family... Add in Bilhah and Zilpah, the concubines, the enslaved women. And then Rachel dies young. And Rachel dies young. And all of the children have different statuses. Yep. And the the space where parenting really comes to a forefront of like, this is not a great example of parenting, is Joseph is so clearly the favorite. Yeah. And like there are things that Joseph does and truths that Joseph tells that does not endear Joseph to their brothers. But, yeah, J Joseph is kind of a little snot here and there, but yeah. yeah. But Jacob really doesn't help the situation by like playing favorites to such an extent that it causes um, yeah. You don't need to encourage that discontent crap. No. amongst the brothers and that sort of thing. Um, and there are multiple ways I mean, to read that story. Still, yeah. Also, don't throw your brother in the well, no matter how irritating your dad is about him. Yeah, that's siblings should fair, not be but, killed and yeah. should not be thrown in wells. I and shouldn't like, be blamed for the parents' behavior. Yeah, I but. feel like this is usually just a K statement, but I'm <laughs> on Murder is still bad, folks. Indeed. You heard it here first. <laughs> One of my favorite examples, though, is Hannah, who is Samuel's yes. mother. So in First Samuel, who and she struggles a lot with infertility and an inability to have a kid. And yeah. she prays about it and she prays and prays and prays to the point where Eli the priest thinks she's drunk because she's praying so hard. She gets scorned by her husband's other wife or concubine. I think it's one wife. No, he, he definitely has more than one wife, yeah. but he is also, his name is Elkanah, and he's also uh, said to love her dearly despite the fact that she hasn't had a child. Yes. Elkanah she's sure still his favorite. loves Hannah, Yeah, but Elkanah's other wife definitely like makes fun of and is like really less than charitable yes. really is cruel to hannah about her not having a kid so then she finally does have a kid and she has promised to dedicate the child to god and so samuel doesn't necessarily grow up with her but she 
takes care of him. She provides clothing yeah. for him every year. She visits him. She's not throwing him out into the streets like he is raised by Eli. No. But yeah, she just like there's so much. There's such a and clear then she calling. has additional children. Yeah, there's such a clear calling for her to be a parent, and then she actually gives care to the kids. Yeah. One of my favorite examples is actually the Syrophoenician woman, or mm -hmm. uh, depending on which gospel reading you read, she might be the Canaanite woman. Mm -hmm. uh, she comes to Jesus asking him to heal her child, and Jesus insults her, and she mm -hmm. just breezes right through it and keeps insisting that he needs to heal her child. And there is sort of an interesting way of flipping this Bible story into a, a fanish reference because it's not exactly like she's Molly Weasley saying, not my daughter. <laughs> it's more like she's saying, you're not going to not heal my daughter. Like, I'm not putting up with this. <laughs> you're going to heal her. But uh, I really appreciate her stubbornness. Yes, she is stubborn and she has a way with words. And she will do whatever it takes, including taking insults from some random rabbi, if that means that her, her child is healed. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there are a lot of different people throughout the Bible, from widows to random parents, that come to Jesus yeah. for healing. So the sure. man in the second half of the Transfiguration Gospel that we read, also known as Idris Elba in Let's Make a Muppets Musical, <laughs> according to our transfiguration guest emily ann garcia but yes. that that man coming and trying to get help for his kid and then persisting when those he went to the disciples that were still down on the mountain can't help him persisting yes. until he does get the help his kid needs yeah it's awesome and then one of the ones that i think is a kind of great juxtaposition and a good segue into our next our next one look at this i'm transitioning it well yes is we're the, all very proud <laughs> is the story of the roman centurion with the 12 year old girl who is dying who is sick and probably dying and that is a sandwich story so it takes place and is and in the middle of it is another story in the middle of the story of the roman centurion and that story is about a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. I didn't know that there were people who didn't realize that hemorrhaging means like menstruating, bleeding, unable yeah. to have kids for 12 years and thought that like she yeah. would be like hemorrhaging blood from somewhere else. Didn't realize that people thought that, but like when we talk about her, it is very much related to ability to give birth and yeah, she very likely has fibroids or something. Stuff. Yeah. But I love that combination of like this person who is like caring deeply for this child and this person who doesn't have presumably doesn't have children and is doing her best and at her wit's end in caring for herself. And both yeah, of those absolutely. are really important. Yeah. So related to that, there are a lot of people out there who, for whatever reason, cannot have kids. And as it turns out, there are a lot of reasons why people don't or can't have children. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the reasons are financial. If you're not in a financially stable position, choosing to not have kids can be the responsible choice. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. And it's just like a logistical nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah. A childcare in America. Oh my goodness. There, <laughs> Put yourself it, into debt before your kid even goes to college. I think in like, New York, yeah. it's harder to get into a daycare. I don't know if it still is, but for a while it was harder to get into a daycare in New York city than Harvard. Yeah, I would not be at all surprised. Yep. Yeah. So it's it's not even just like a, oh, once we've saved a little more, we'll have a kid. It's like, 
completely out of and also then you add on the cost of like general health care and mm -hmm. you know a five-year-old is very likely to break a bone of some kind because they're five-year-olds and mm -hmm. they throw themselves around a lot and so there's going to be all kinds of health care costs too uh, and that's on top of feeding and clothing a small person who is constantly outgrowing their clothes so yes. yeah. yeah and there's additional costs for folks in relationships that don't follow the cis heteronormative pattern. Yeah. So there are costs of getting pregnant and that frequently looks a lot like fertility, but fertility processes. But I know people who have been single and getting pregnant on their own as queer people, sure. as not queer people, but also queer couples where they don't automatically have sperm, egg, and uterus. <laughs> in yeah. their family system to be able to just make a baby even on accident yeah and so that makes a big difference of like how much not all health insurance covers it and yeah. how much extra cost you need and to make sure you find somebody who's queer competent especially if it's yeah. someone who's trans who's the one who's going to be carrying the baby like or if there's yeah. surrogacy there's just so much that is complicated. Speaking of healthcare issues. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a bunch of medical issues that might be involved that might not be related to fertility at all. Uh, if someone in the family who wants to be a parent also has some kind of disability, which might include invisible disabilities, um, it might not even be a physical disability. There are mental conditions that affect your life strongly enough that it does impact your ability to care for a child, particularly newborns or toddlers. Mm -hmm. There are people who have backgrounds that mean that they have some stuff to work through before they're going to be able to parent a child. Yeah. And there are also uh, medical conditions that that you wouldn't initially think might affect someone's ability to, to parent a child. But like when you think about it, people who have chronic fatigue, people who have uh, really terrible backs and can't lift heavy things, people who get sick more easily than, than other folks, all of those things impact your ability to parent a child, especially because children are Petri dishes and will bring home <laughs> every bug in the neighborhood. Yeah. all the time which so. to be perfectly queer we are not saying that if you have any if like any of that is in your realm of experience you shouldn't be a parent no just you that, absolutely like, can be but only if you know that you can be not to right like that recognize yeah. those as barriers in a way that is prohibitive of them having a kid or raising yeah. a kid and it is not for any of us who are not them to tell them they shouldn't have a kid. That is not what we're oh, saying. Oh, gracious no. Just doing the like increased awareness and understanding of why people Absolutely. might choose not to or might not 1, be 1000%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also actual fertility issues. Right? Yeah, just in case there weren't enough problems already. <laughs> Amazing. And fertility is something that I think I have heard most acutely cisgender women talk about but it is something that everybody yeah. can experience there are fertility issues for people with penises who produce sperm yeah. there are fertility issues with people with uteruses and ovaries who produce eggs there are fertility issues for people who are intersex and maybe have both or neither or some combination that is unclear yeah there are a lot of fertility issues also not any of your business and there's 
also the fertility issues caused by racism and medical racism in particular. Oh, gracious. Yeah. We, I think it was just last year that, I think it was last year, maybe two years ago, that we heard about women, particularly cisgender women, who were in detention centers who were given hysterectomies in the U.S. without knowledge or consent. There's a long yeah. history of making Black women infertile. Yes. While there's also the racist trope of Black women being extra fertile. Yes. Right. If you really want to horrify yourself and explore the depths that humanity is capable of, look into the history of gynecology. Also, be ready for nightmares. Like, literal, actual nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. So, I know somebody who, like specifically one of their elders said to them if a doctor tells you you need a hysterectomy say no because yeah. that will be the first option that a doctor goes for for you because you are a black woman yeah yeah that's bad whereas other women who actually want hysterectomies can't get them for literal blood or money but that's right. a separate because podcast they episode. might I... <laughs> want to have a kid later yeah or they're their imaginary husband who doesn't exist yet might want them to have a kid later because who cares about their consent? Yeah. Different deep dive, different podcast but episodes moving on. Speaking of imaginary husbands, relationship oh, status is also a reason that makes it hard for people to have kids. Um, there are a lot of people yes. I know who were waiting until the right person came along so that they could sure. have a family and they could like follow the you know, cis heteronormative pattern of a dad and a mom giving birth to a kid. Sure. And that, like, that has been so fed into people that that is the appropriate route that then by the time they accept they realize that it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen that way, they might not be able to have a kid anymore. But yeah. I also know people who have fostered or adopted as single parents. And, and we'll get into that thing. further in yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Let's also acknowledge that being called to being a parent and being called to being a single parent, also slightly different things. Yes. Yes. And yeah. there's also the difficult dynamic of the ways that sex and pregnancy and getting particularly a young teen girl to have your baby is used as power and control in relationships. And so even like it could be divorce, it could be separation. Like there are so many different reasons why you are not able to have kids or why having kids is really complicated. I mean, it is complicated yeah. period, but can be yeah, especially absolutely. complicated and difficult or even harmful. There are oodles of additional reasons that we can't even begin to name because we can't imagine them, mm -hmm. but your, your life, your housing, your, it's possible your dietary needs are involved in this because if you have to spend so much time cooking for yourself that you wouldn't be able to care for a child that that is a whole separate yeah. thing or like the amount of so stress that you're different... under like yeah that can do you have a job that allows you to get time off mm -hmm. yeah yeah so there's a whole thousands of different things mm -hmm. that play into that and so we need to remember to make room for people who might want to be parents but can't be mm -hmm. yeah and also, while we're making room for people who are different from us, we need to remember that not all caregivers are necessarily the biological parents of mm -hmm. a particular child. Yeah, there are lots of ways to be a caregiver in addition to being a biological parent. Some of the most common that we talk about or throw out as options are adoption and foster care. Both of those are really complicated and really expensive. And also, if yeah. you 
would be a good foster parent, do it. There's a yes. huge lack of foster parents, especially of queer competent foster parents. Yeah. And an overrepresentation of queer kids in foster care. So And also disabled kids and mm-hmm. children with learning disabilities or mm-hmm. developmental disabilities. Yeah. Yeah. Or children experiencing who have experienced significant trauma probably have absolutely like it's part of how they become in foster care but definitely do that and it's it's a complicated thing right there's the indian child welfare act which has been getting challenged a bunch also like puts parameters around who is able or not able to adopt native children and there's a whole bunch of really good reasons behind that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so any sort of like when we talk about adoption and foster care if you are considering any sort of transracial adoption or foster care that takes significantly extra work particularly for white people but yes for anybody to make sure that you are understanding the culture that the kid comes from and the power dynamics and finding ways please talk to people who have been there yeah please especially talk to people who were the adoptee in those situations yep yeah yeah but also there are lots of other ways that you can be a caregiver to children Yes, there are. You can absolutely be a caregiver to children by being a teacher in their life. There are so many people Mm -hmm. I know who, when they are asked to talk about the important adults in their childhoods, don't go for family members. They go for teachers every time. Yeah, teachers are wonderful. Yeah. Also, being a godparent. Absolutely. And that can be like in an official baptismal sponsor kind of role. It can be in a... If I die, my kids are <laughs> my kids are coming to yeah. leave with you kind of role. There are a lot of different options, but yeah, I know being a godparent is a special is a special kind of bond, and especially if it is connected to baptism, like you get to have a special day where you remind the kid that they're baptized and that they are that they are loved by God every year, and or an extra excuse to buy them gifts. Who knows? In case you need one, not everyone does, but you <laughs> yeah. know. If you want one, sure. Also, goodness knows, being a grandparent is a wonderful way, whether or not you're the official biological grandparent, Mm -hmm. uh, is a wonderful way to be a caregiver to a child. My childhood elementary school had a adopt-a-grandparent program for uh, the local nursing home, and uh, that was a lot of fun. Not entirely because we got a day off of, you know, math class and uh, also got to go over there when there were usually also dogs visiting the residents. Uh, But it was uh, a lot of fun because we enjoyed getting to know the adults too. Yeah. When I was in college, there was an Adopt-A-Grandparent program that was a gift for folks in the nursing home and a gift for lonely college students who were missing their parents. And at camp, I worked at Rainbow Trail Lutheran Camp when I was growing up and they had a program where there were grandparent camp grandparents and my dad did it a couple years and he was he was a camp uncle he would like yes he was uncle al the kitty's pal (laughs) but other people were grandparents and they provide that comfort and care that sometimes especially homesick kids need um yeah yeah you know, actually, now that I think about it, there was a Harry Potter fan fiction that gave Hagrid the job of the children's custodian. Mm-hmm. And it was his job to listen to their troubles and care about them in a loving and parental and quasi-parental way. Um, and I thought that was beautiful because I don't know that Hagrid was especially called to be a teacher, but he did a lovely job in that role. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also, you know, extended family um when there are siblings, kids, or parents, siblings, cousins, great. Semi-cousins. Yeah, greats, all of those things. Cousins removed by whatever generations, yeah. 
yeah, depending on family structure. I know there's a lot of like holding up the nuclear family, which has been created fairly recently and is not a sustainable model for, I think, anybody. Um, But that works. Or folks who co-parent, multiple people co-parenting together. Yeah, um, that is a skill mm -hmm. and vastly important. Yeah. And then also your friends' kids. I have two different friends who have kids, um, a soon-to-be two-year-old and a soon-to-be four-year-old who I talk about with some amount of regularity. Yeah. And the relationship that I have with them is unique. It is not just like a kid running around, but we have a relationship and we talk and we do like video calls and that's really beautiful. Wonderful. Yeah. And for that matter, a lot of us grew up with uh, neighborhood adults or uh, church adults in our lives. And we can also be that neighborhood adult or that church adult in kids' lives by whether you're officially volunteering at church or officially volunteering in the neighborhood or not officially doing anything at all, but just being one of those adults who genuinely cares about the kids around you and also gets to know their parents so that their parents don't freak out. (laughs) But like, it it is very possible to be that kind of adult in a kid's life. And those adults can also be life-changing. Yeah. Those adults are amazing. Yeah. And there's, right. You can be a single parent, whether it's through adoption, foster care, biological. Yeah divorce and our metaphorical hats are off to single parents because my goodness that's extraordinary yeah 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 and it is partly because of all of these different ways to be caregivers and more that we haven't even named but are sure to exist that when we are talking uh, to kids um it's important to not to not shrink the possibilities of who could be caring for them. I think particularly in a church context, if kids come up for the children's sermon or something, and then to talk about your mommies and daddies or something like that is really restrictive and can contribute to a real like erasure and confusion for kids who are not raised by a mom and a dad. And so, or for that matter, unfortunately, the number of pastors of a certain demographic I've known who have done those children's sermons while there was a kid sitting there who had recently had a parent die in the last year. Just like, be aware, folks, please. Yeah. And there are biological parents and other caregivers who are not safe Yeah, and who cause harm. So also be aware if you're talking about anything about who the good people are in your life, the good grownups. But one thing that I like to say is when kids have come forward and then I'm like sending them back to their seats. I talk about going back to their grownups or their adults, but to, to flip it a little bit. And I think we've talked about this a little before, but to, to have the possession be the kids. So the relationship yes. of the adult is to the kid and the kid it's the kids grown up. And I think that yeah. is a really great way of kind of opening the space for agency and, and belonging and like, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's child-centered. Yeah. It's not adult-centered. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And also, I picked up a term from uh, the corner of Twitter populated by teachers of calling those adults their raisins, as in, who's raising you? <laughs> and I think that's adorable, and we should absolutely all pick it up. And Ooh. it does require a little explaining sometimes, but that's okay. Yeah. But I just, I love that. <laughs> that's, I do love puns and... Yes. That one is like a little bit. It's a, it's a little twee, I think, but I'm, I just, I love it anyway. And 
we can also make an effort to welcome uh, both in a church community, but also in any community mm -hmm. to welcome those people who are childless or who are child free. So not everybody who doesn't have children wants kids and mm -hmm. that's okay too. And there are certain times of the year when we have to pay a little extra attention to that. Now, me personally, I have never really noticed Advent as being all about Mary's pregnancy and the churches that I have attended because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on during Advent. Like there's all these prophecies mm -hmm. and and stuff. And so and like Herod is doing stuff in the background. And so I've never really paid that much attention to Mary's actual pregnancy <laughs> during Advent, which I know sounds kind of weird to some people, but like there's a bunch of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, you don't necessarily need to make every Advent sermon about these stages of pregnancy and what is biologically going on in Mary's body, because we don't know what was going on in Mary's body or how Mary's pregnancy went. She may have been miserable being pregnant. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Don't tell us what's not true, you know? Yeah. And like, I am one of the people who like really wants to be pregnant during Advent. It's also not going to be a mom. And Advent yes. is about way more than pregnancy. Yeah. On the other hand, going to church on Mother's Day is a real trial for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And I know plenty of people who just, if they have the option, they skip that day entirely and they do not go to church because you never know how the church is going to handle it. And even if the clergy or leadership try to set a a reasonable level of welcoming people who don't have good relationships with their moms or whatever. There can be individuals in the congregation who still say horrific things mm -hmm. and there's no protecting against that. Yeah. So and if you skip church on mother's day, don't feel bad. Yeah. Never we feel we bad. do not, yeah. we do not blame you at all. Yeah. yeah. And, and father's day for that matter. It's so Absolutely. much pressure is put upon women in particular to be mothers to the extent that yeah. like sometimes those mother's day things like, any woman gets a rose or a flower or whatever. You don't have to be. Well, I've seen that where they're trying to be inclusive and I appreciate the effort, I, but like, it also doesn't always. I appreciate yeah. the like effort, but also no, because not everyone is and not everyone wants to be. And yeah, the best approach to that that I've seen is to acknowledge that everybody probably, you know, had a mother or a person of that type in, in their life, whether or not they actually got to have a relationship. Like someone did give birth to you at some point. And I will say, like, I, th I think even that is complicated, right? Because yeah. if it's a surrogate parent or if it is someone who's trans, you might not yeah. actually have a mother. Right. And so I think there are ways to acknowledge the pain and the hurt and the harm that is caused by right. Mother's Day and by all that is involved in social pressures and all of that stuff connected to mothers and to Father's Day for that matter. And sure, my general rule is we shouldn't be celebrating secular holidays. For the most part, we should not be celebrating secular holidays in the church. And it's Yes. It's partly that they're that Mother's Day and Father's Day are so complicated, but also as a non-binary person, there is no non-binary parents day. There is no like Also that sounds like a terrible holiday name. Like you you've got to come up with something a little Right? Like there there are It's a little clinical. There are plenty of like names that non-binary people come up with for like what they want to be called as a parent. But sure. When we do things that are gendered, Unless you're like real good and paying someone who is non-binary to help you yeah. figure out how to make it inclusive. Non-binary and like has experience helping with this. You're yeah. going to be excluding people 
Absolutely. Come to think of it, I think the one secular holiday that I would be okay with recognizing in church would be the International Cat Day. But that might be because Becky was climbing into my lap as you were talking. (laughs) I was thinking June, like there are some that are connected to justice. Oh, sure. That we should because justice is part of the church. But yeah, yeah. don't get me wrong. I like sleeping in on New Year's Day. Also like Arbor Day. Sure. Yeah. Earth Day. Labor Day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would love to see a church do a good job of that. But anyway. I've known a couple. Also, so many of the women in the Bible, when we pay any attention to them at all in the first place, are acknowledged less as individual people and more as someone's mom or as someone's relative or whatever. And that's not okay either. And so Mm -hmm. we have to be careful about our words regarding that too. Yeah. And that's just like a common thing that happens, right? The number of men who are like, I didn't understand this until I had a daughter of my own. And I'm like, really? That's weird and like women genuinely sociopathic of you until that's not a good sign. And please stop telling on yourself. No, actually, please keep telling on yourself because I'm glad to know that some people are like that. But like, I wish there were fewer people who had to tell on themselves that way. Let's put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, there are some things you just should not say to people. For example, don't ask if someone is pregnant. If someone is pregnant and they want you to know, they will tell you, Mm -hmm. usually at top volume and very excitedly. Mm -hmm. And let them have that moment, by all means. Without your hands on them. Let them have that moment without your hands on their stomach. Don't touch them. Yeah. Use their bellies on. You can offer to shake their hand. That's okay. Yeah. But offer. You don't know what's going on with their life. They might have gas that day. They might have recently gained weight or not so recently. They might just not be wearing the same clothes that you're used to seeing them wearing and they and because of their clothes they're shaped a little differently that day they might have recently had a miscarriage they might be infertile they might be struggling with that you don't know so don't ask if someone is pregnant Mm -hmm. because you might cause them serious trauma yeah just don't ask also while we're at it please don't tell people who have realized that they can't have children the quote-unquote traditional way that they should just adopt one Adoption is complicated. Mm-hmm. And it's two, not yeah, two, not everybody has the resources it, it takes to adopt, or like they might have been adopted themselves and have some issues with that, mm-hmm. or all that kind or of thing. Or they might be in an adoption process that takes forever and they don't get paid. Yeah, they they might have been in an adoption process that just got canceled the day before. Don't embarrass yourself. Mm-hmm. And for that matter, foster care is also incredibly complicated. Like we love and admire foster parents and you are wonderful, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of emotion there and it's, it's so hard. And so don't tell people to just do that. And also if someone is struggling with infertility, don't assure them, don't worry, God will give you a baby someday because no, that might not happen. Yes. Also not how God works, but also like that just might not happen. If they don't have a child, that doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. Yeah. The only way to fit into God's God's work in the world is not having a kid. That is not the only way. There are Yeah, that is not how that works. Many, many ways. Absolutely. Our first reading for this episode is from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 12 and 17 through 18. God promises Abram an heir and descendants to inherit the land of Canaan, which God will also give him. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of dreams. This Most of this happens in one of Abram's dreams. And I was thinking about it, and there are dreams that happen in a lot of different fiction and 
sci-fi fantasy stuff, but in oh, yeah. Buffy, which I've been working my way through, the dreams that Buffy has, and Faith, for that matter, one of the other Slayers, are very real. Just like they are for Abram. Like, they are real, and they are creepy. And if you don't think that this dream is creepy, then why don't you take a minute and imagine a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch going between hunks of dead animal. Creepy. I'm just saying. Or possibly just a slightly unusual barbecue, but yeah, sure. I mean, also creepy. Also that. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's very clearly uh, a, a creepy thing and, and the it's described in a creepy manner in the Bible. Absolutely. Yeah. And then in verse four, we read, but the word of the becoming one came to Abram. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. So this is talking about inheritance, right? Who is going to get the mantle that is what it means to be Abrahamic? The land, the wealth, all of those things. And I was thinking about inheritance in Marvel Cinematic Universe. And Mm -hmm. it is almost never a biological child that inherits the mantle of the hero. This is like clearest in Spider-Man, right? Like there are a million Spider-Men and it's a multiverse thing and they're not all men. All of that. They're not all men. They're not all human. All of that. But with like the one exception that I could really think of is Black Panther. But even within Black Panther, there is space for someone to challenge the passing down of the mantle and it's it's just it's almost like genetic makeup or membership in a particular biological family is not a great indicator of who should possess or do something yeah absolutely hashtag down with the monarchy except we really like the queen (laughs) and we're really sad that she has covid queen elizabeth is a class act the rest of her family gets less fortunate yeah And then in verse five, we read, God brought Abram outside and said, look towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to count them. And in fact, no, Abram cannot count them. No human being can count all of the stars because even in seemingly dark spaces where it doesn't look like there are any stars, thanks to Hubble, we know that there are tons. And in fact, most of the stars that you see are actually galaxies. So it's not just one, but hundreds, if not thousands, if not more than that, even. So good yes. luck counting all the stars. Although I really hope that God wasn't like throwing shade at Abram's math abilities, because that <laughs> seems unnecessary. I kind of hope that God was, because later Abram like proves that Yeah. by like only going down to 10. I also read verse five and thought to myself, so God had a very specific plan for Abram and also Sarai and uh, the rest of his family for very specific reasons in order to essentially create the Jewish people. But that doesn't mean that this is God's plan for everybody, right? God is not a cookie cutter. Yeah. This doesn't even mean that God has a very specific plan for everybody or like any one particular plan for anybody, everybody. There are various places in the Bible where God claims some foreknowledge of what's going to happen in people's lives, but that's not the same thing as controlling it. And if you want an example of that, I immediately think back to the stories of Cassandra in ancient Greek myths, who was essentially cursed to know what was going to happen, but no one would ever believe her. 
Now, I also think that it's possible that she would have had some fun with that ability. (laughs) And there is a cartoon that we can link to in the episode description that describes one example of how she might have had a little fun with that. But also, like, that must have been exhausting. And also, like, wonderful illustration of women not being believed by society. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about Cassandra and didn't didn't realize the part that nobody would believe her so i was like oh like bruno from encanto problem with bruno is everybody does believe him because they're true like it's true but then like then a whole bunch of like complicated i can see a whole different set of problems arising from that yeah he gets blamed for them versus yeah yeah. but it's not it doesn't mean that you controlled it yeah and then in verse six we read and when birds of prey came down on the carcasses abram drove them away but they were not Klingon birds of prey, and so Abram did not need to engage warp drive. <laughs> Although now I'm wondering how various biblical characters would fit into Starfleet, and I suppose if we ever get tired of casting the Muppet Bible musical, we may wind up going into casting biblical characters in our various favorite fandoms, <laughs> and that could be fun. That could be fun. Also, when you were reading Birds of Prey, I was thinking of like, so do they do the Iran's position with the wings <laughs> like clipped up or just out? Are, are they a separate church from the praying mantises what? or do they, do they worship with them head? or do they eat the praying mantises or the, yeah, exactly. Yep. I want to know, dear listeners, your favorite birds of prey. <laughs> it's, it's like. Actually, oh, oh, I have one. Well, I don't know that they're actually birds, but there is an artist named Ursula Vernon who has a illustration called Cardinals in Winter. And it, I think they are tiny little birds dressed in tiny little red robes with tiny little red staffs. They're cardinals. <laughs> they're, they're Catholic cardinals. And it's fantastic. And I want a copy of it for my office, but I've never actually managed to do that yet because I haven't been in one place long enough. So one of these days. Yeah. I w- but they're adorable. I was going to say, Unvirtuous Abbey frequently has like an actual picture of the Holy Spirit doing XYZ. And it's yes. always like an owl or a bird. A bird of yes. prey. Our second reading for this episode is Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. Paul reminds us that the world will disappoint us, but we don't have to follow the world, and God will not disappoint us. One of the themes for this passage is the idea of feasting in the face of other people's oppression or vulnerability or danger even. But the image that came to me for this was in Lord of the Rings Return of the King when Pippin has just been installed in service in Gondor to the steward of Gondor, Denethor, and it is Faramir's near-death scene. And so we get this beautiful, like cinematically beautiful and just like gut-wrenching juxtaposition of Billy Boyd singing the most gorgeous song ever, Denethor eating and like splurting tomato down his like chin and Faramir and the other soldiers riding off to almost certain death yeah all because his dad would loved his brother more and had some fairly serious mental health issues but speaking of which people who are maybe not called to be parents Denethor yes of Gondor absolutely and then in verse 17 we read brothers and sisters and all siblings one would hope. Join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Again, 
I do feel like I need to point out that this is still very early days for the church. There are not that many Christians, like especially relative to how many Christians there are in the world today. Mm -hmm. And there were even fewer well-known Christians. And so when Paul tells people to imitate him, he's one of only a few role models they really had for what being a Christian meant. Mm -hmm. And so he's not quite being like Zap Brannigan from Futurama and being super conceited. <laughs> He might still be being a little conceited. It's a little hard for us to tell because, you know, culture clash and we're not there and we don't really know his relationship with these people. So like a little conceited is probably an option, but also it's hard to tell. But he's he's not like, this is not Joel Osteen. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, and then in the following verse, verse 18, we read, for many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them. And now I tell you even with tears. So if the cross of Christ is the ultimate symbol of God's self-sacrificing, all-encompassing love for us, which we are told many, many, many times in the Bible mm -hmm. that it is, uh, then the enemies of that cross would, I suppose, be those who are selfish and prejudiced, whose love is limited by conditions. And so that makes me think of, say, people who make a living off of creating bigoted legislation. Mm. They seem like a candidate for that. I'm just saying. Yeah. Also, that's not just limited to politicians. There's a lot of people involved in that industry. And yes, it is an industry. Yeah. So. Also, I was thinking about like the number of politicians who have stocks and can buy stocks yeah. when they know something Terrifying. is going to happen before the rest of us. Or sell them. Or sell yep. them. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's like capitalism is corrupt. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 20, we read, but our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole sentence, and in fact, most of what Paul writes, is anti-empire. Paul is specifically pushing against the idea of Roman citizenship, of Caesar as Lord. So that would be also pushing against United States citizenship, pushing against the idea of yeah. any one president as the savior, as the one who will do all the things that need to be done. Yeah. Or for that matter, any one person. Right. Like, don't put your hopes in human beings because that's going to go badly. Yep. Yeah. And that, like, then you make it so that only one person, that, like, nobody can ever change anything because they have to be able to do everything. It does not work. Movements are not yeah. built on one person. Even God yeah. is a trinity. <laughs> I feel like that needs to be a bumper sticker, but it would probably also need to be unpacked a little more. <laughs> yeah, no, just a little. But yeah, it's a bit like the Expanse TV series that just concluded. But there's like, well, the inners and the belters. So that's Mars and Earth are both inners, but they're also like against each other and against the belters, which is the asteroid folks who live in the asteroid belt. But really, like, toward, you slowly get the idea of, like, it's more complicated. And yes. really, like, everybody belongs to humanity. And I know it's really schmaltzy. But I do yeah. love that, like, pushback of it is not about which nation you pledge allegiance to. That is not how it works. And that no. is not what God is about. And then in verse 21, we read, Christ will transform the body of our humiliation so that it may be conformed to the body of Jesus' glory by the power that also enables Jesus to make all things subject to Jesus' self. And this actually, speaking of certain legislatures, certain elected officials, I should say, this actually really made me think about transgender people, trans people who choose and or need to 
physically transition in some form. So that could be your hormones sure. and or surgery. And that like that idea of the transformation of the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of Jesus glory and the ways that gender confirming surgeries and or hormones can be a beautiful transformation to what Absolutely. is more in line with who God calls us to be. So, And of course, in Spanish universes, they also have magical means available to them sometimes. It is. So. It is true. So mostly it's a yay trans people. Also, the very clear disclaimer as someone for whom this is true, that not all trans people do this. Not all trans people yeah. take particular hormones or have particular yeah. surgeries in order to change their body. And then our gospel reading for this episode is Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Pharisees warn Jesus that Herod wants to kill him, and Jesus responds that he must die in Jerusalem, no matter how much he wants to turn into a chicken. <laughs> we promise that makes sense if you actually read the reading. Um, <laughs> I love that. It really does sound like he wants to turn into a chicken. I'm on board with that part. Yeah. So one of the themes in this passage is the idea of impending doom. The Pharisees in this case are warning Jesus about the impending doom of Herod. And it reminded me, this happens in a lot of like action-y fantasy stuff, fiction stuff. But in Mockingjay, the third Hunger Games book, Mm -hmm. and I think the fourth movie, in the sewer tunnels when they're trying to go assassinate President Snow... At one point, there's like these creatures that are trying to attack them. And then Finnick O'Dare jumps into the fray and says, go, 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 as in like, get out of here while I fight them off and then ends up dying. And frequently that's how it works, right? Like, go, 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 I'll hold them back. Go, 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 I'll fight them off. Go, 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 Herod's going to try and kill you. You know, that's what you do. And then in verse 32, we read, Jesus said to them, go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I finish my work. So basically, I read this as Jesus saying, I am too busy for your crap right now, Herod. I do not have time for this. Uh, and it reminds me of there's a bit near the start of the, the movie The Terminal that came out in 2004, mm-hmm. which feels like it was a long time ago. And that bothers me. Oh. But that's a whole separate conversation about aging. Yeah. When Victor meets uh, the janitor, uh, whose first name is Gupta, but we don't know that at the time, uh, and they later become friends. Uh, But the first time that they meet, Gupta the janitor tells him that he doesn't have time for Victor right now. He should come back on Tuesday. Tuesday? Tuesday. And that becomes a thing. (laughs) So I feel like I saw that movie, but maybe I just saw the previews a bunch. It's the one where Tom Hanks is like stuck in the... It's stuck in the airport. Yeah. Yes. All right. It was interesting. It it is definitely not the worst movie I've ever seen. It is def it, it was they were trying to do a particular thing. They did it. There could have been a few more, you know, things going on there, but it it was a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sorry Spielberg, it was not my favorite. That's fair. Also, the 2-year-old in my life loves foxes right now, so I just have like <laughs> special place in my heart. Maybe me. don't use that metaphor with the 2-year-old. <laughs> that would get across a little differently you know don't don't have a two-year-old that uh you have inspired to name their favorite stuffed fox herod that would probably take a little explaining to people yeah the so. the, the fox is named snuggles snuggles the flock snuggles the fox. oh that's much better yes Who also absolutely is like a snuggle comfort item that particular fox there are many i'm sure and then in verse 33 
Jesus continues, Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed away from Jerusalem. This feels like a pretty flimsy plot device slash narrative causality. Thank you very much. Can't be killed away from Jerusalem? So I guess I'm safe until I get there. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, I can see that. Although, like, it is kind of specific. Like, how exactly does one make sure that one is actually a prophet so that you know that this applies to you? And also, can you still die by, like, accidentally falling off a cliff? Like, that's not being killed. That's just dying. Or, like, from, you know, pneumonia or something. I mean, they did have different words for kill versus die. So I think there's some some space, some room. There was a tweet that went around the other day that was like, there are a lot of people who are calling themselves prophets. And you know what happened in the Bible? Nobody who was a prophet called themselves a prophet. It's like, hmm, that makes you think. I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, I feel like there's space in the world for a uh, morality tale where someone tried to avoid being killed by leaving Jerusalem and wound up like, you know, dying of a blood infection because they tripped over a campfire or something. And were like and, too far uh, away to get medical attention. To, so Jerusalem yeah, exactly. saved them. Something like that. I like yeah. That. I, I feel like that's a, a fairy tale I would have been told growing up. That makes so. sense. Yeah. And then in verse 34, Jesus continues, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, Jesus does want to turn into a chicken. See? (laughs) Exactly. It's like Veggie Tales, but the animal version. Or, alternatively, which vegetable would play the hen and which the fox? I am not a good person to ask that question because I've only seen a couple of the VeggieTales shorts, but I I think that is a perfectly valid question to ask. Yes. And I, when I say the VeggieTales shorts, I'm including the really popular songs like uh, Where Is My Silly Hairbrush songs with Larry. and Pirates Who Don't Do Anything. Yes. So I've seen those. I have not like seen the ones that tell the entire Bible stories. Kind uh, of thing. Okay. To be so. fair, those are really complicated. And I think the people that made the VeggieTales are like conservative in ways that I am not okay with. We would have trouble with. Yeah. But also, I grew up on Veggie Tales, and so... No, I, I think it's a perfectly valid question to ask. I'm just yeah. not a good person to ask that question, too. So I think you should ask our listeners. Say, what about you, dear listeners? Which vegetable would you associate with Herod the fox? And which vegetable with Jesus the mother hen? Now I'm wondering what vegetables come back to life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for real, though, like, potatoes can regrow and regrow. Yeah, and yeah that's kind of true garlic bulbs yeah. garlic Ooh, garlic jesus is garlic i like I that jesus is garlic and then before we go a little too off the rails let's also talk about verse 35 where we read see your house is left to you and i tell you you will not see me until the time comes when you say blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord well blessed is the one who comes in the name of the lord it does not quite have the same ring to it as i solemnly (laughs) swear i am up to no good but it's still pretty iconic like that's the kind of thing that someone isn't just going to say randomly on a thursday and accidentally cause something extraordinary to happen so that's probably fair unless of course they're quoting the bible yeah that that is probably a little (laughs) different but maybe we're not you know saying it in the correct original language so who knows yeah like Gandalf having to say the word for a friend in Elvish. Yeah. Yeah. And now the segment you've all been waiting for, maybe, or maybe not, depending on how much you pay attention. Or maybe you're about to find out that you were waiting for it without knowing. Yes. 
our newest segment, thanks to an ongoing conversation that we have been having, but also some Twitter shout-out help from Rabbi Danya Rutenberg, and we will link to the, the Twitter thread that kind of, well, the couple of Twitter threads spiraled that out like, of spiraled out of control and inspired it all. In awesome in, ways. In amazing ways, yeah. Yes. The segment is called Let's Make a Muppets Musical, because I love alliteration. Yes. So this is the time in the episode where we take one of the passages or we take a related, or a passage. related passage and decide if this were turned into a Muppets musical, who would be the token human in the musical yes. and or who would definitely like which characters would definitely be Muppets and why kind of and and which and which, and which Muppets. Muppets would they be. So my immediate thought in this was I really want Beaker to be the giant mother hen. I could totally see right? that. But also... Like, when he's not meeping, he is very, you know, nurturing. Right? Absolutely. And, like, just... Well, and the, like, the image I have for the mother hen is admittedly from the revised comic lectionary, which we'll also <laughs> link to, that has, like, a mother hen, like, stomping around Jerusalem, kind of Godzilla style. Yes. But then I was thinking, and I was, isn't there an actual hen in the Muppets? Yes. Uh, uh, so Gonzo has a whole like family of chickens that follow him around at various times, but his very favorite is named Camilla and he loves Camilla and she shows up in several of the movies, uh, particularly the, the very first Muppets movie, but also uh, in the others. And he and Camilla are very old friends. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So it's very sweet. Those are my... Yes. But also, earlier in our episode, we talked briefly about the Solomon and the two moms and the baby uh, scene from mm -hmm. uh, the Bible. And we also wanted to link to a tweet from uh, at not retro, just old uh, on Twitter. That is literally what their username is. Don't don't at me. But who suggested in our original Twitter thread about casting this Bible musical with Muppets uh, that he wanted Solomon to be played by J.K. Simmons uh, and then the moms of the scene could be played by Gonzo and the Swedish chef and they could be fighting over Camilla because of course Gonzo wants Camilla to be his best friend and the Swedish chef would you know want to cook Camilla and uh, that would make for a great scene and the fight would be uh, pretty spectacular I have to think and there'd be a lot of flying feathers that's so. true that would be amazing I yes absolutely would really love that Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the third Sunday of Lent. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, and more, or if you just want to help us keep doing this podcast, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerds at church. Also, let us know on Twitter or Facebook who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. And now, as the ancient Christian said, Pox Vobiscum. Vobiscum.